Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, get your pens out. Get your Bibles out. Get your session one outline out. And uh, we are going to jump right in in our study. Uh, tonight we'll begin and we're going to make our way through. And so each session builds on the next. As we follow through the story of Gideon, we'll hit the high points. There's way too much here to go in depth and everything, but we're going to do our best to hit the high points as God continues his work in us and through us and around us, teaching us. Judges chapter 6, we're going to jump in in verse 1. We've met Gideon in verse 11 and 12. That's when we're introduced to Gideon. So we need to go back to the beginning in verse 1 so that we can understand where uh, we are in verse 11 and 12, where we are in this passage prior to meeting Gideon. And then as we understand that, we'll be able to know where we're going to go from that point of meeting Gideon uh, in verses 11 and 12. So I'm going to begin reading in Judges 6, beginning in verse 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Real quick, Judges 6 opens up uh, after 40 years of peace for Israel. Israel had been led by Deborah, the judge, and for 40 years they had experienced peace. And so we see in Judges 6 in verse 1, uh, the fourth judge of Israel, Deborah, 40 years of peace for Israel. And after her reign, after her leadership, then what we see happening is the Israelites clearly disobeyed God. They turned from God to idolatry. They turned from God to immorality. And so we're opening up here in, verse, in verses 1 and 2 of, Israel, of Judges chapter 6, and we see a shift from 40 years of peace, things are great, to now sin and disobedience against God. And we see here the very beginning of a symptom that was common within Israel, and Israel fell into a four-step pattern, a four-step cycle, if you will, once they were released and freed from bondage in Egypt by Almighty God, and as they made their way into the promised land, they fell into this pattern. It was a very similar pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament with the Israelites. Four steps to this pattern. I want you to follow along. We'll jot them down. We'll at least identify these steps so you can understand what's going on. Step number one is sin. The Israelites would turn away from God and turn to sin, immorality, idolatry. They would turn away in disobedience from God. The second step in the cycle is servitude. They would move from sin to servitude. God would, after a point in time, begin to discipline Israel, and he would most often use other countries in his discipline of Israel. And they would come and oppress Israel. And they would come and uh, enslave or even put Israel in bondage. Step number three is supplication. There would be sin, servitude, and then at some point there would be supplication. And what would happen is Israel, after a period of time in servanthood, they would finally just cry out to God. Help! Help! God, we need help. We need relief. We need freedom. God, we need you. Which would then lead to step number four, which is the Savior. God would hear their cries and he would answer their cries for help and relief and freedom by raising up a savior. At this point in time in their history, it was a judge who would come and he would help deliver 
Israel from their oppression, from their bondage. After each judge, the cycle would then continue. They would fall right back into the same cycle after each judge. And so this was a very similar pattern that was going on. We see in verses 1 and 2, step 1 and step 2, right? You see in verse 1 and 2, step 1 in verse 1, Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's the sin, sin in the camp. Step 2, so the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years. There's the servitude. So let's continue in verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the eastern peoples came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza, which was all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea coastline. And we know about the Gaza, Gaza Strip, where there's still all kinds of chaos going on in the Middle East today, the Gaza Strip there uh, along the Mediterranean coast. And we see they left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. The Midianites, Amalekites, and the Eastern peoples were nomadic people groups, and they were from the east of Israel. They were from the east of Israel and the south of Israel. So if you know your topography there, if you know your geography, you got Israel right along the Mediterranean coast, and then you got these groups of people. They were nomadic groups of folks, and they were coming from the east and the south of Israel, which is today the area of Saudi Arabia. It was a desert area that they would come. And what would happen is they would ride in periodically on their camels, as many as a swarm of locusts. What does that mean? That means a lot. They would come riding in, they would set up camp, they would bring their tents, put them up, and then they would just make raids into Israel. And they would take their supplies, their food, their animals. They would leave nothing. The land would be devastated after they came and did their periodic raids. And after they raided and took all the supplies, they would then leave and go back and travel back home. And they would do this over and over. This is going on for seven years. They would leave Israel. The land would be devastated. Judges 6, verse 6. So Israel became poverty-stricken. We could understand that. Because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. What do we see? What step is that? Three. You got it. We see supplication now in verse 6. They finally, after seven years, took them seven years, they finally said, we need help. See in verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. This is interesting. He said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove, out, drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in. But you did not obey me. When Israel cried out to God, God sent him a prophet. A prophet is a spokesman for God who was speaking the word of God to Israel. So he sent Israel a prophet to speak to them for him. And the prophet here in this passage, he goes before Israel and he basically tells Israel and reminds Israel of all that God has done for them. He reminds them that, hey, God delivered you from bondage 
after 400 years in bondage of depression and slavery in Egypt. God was the one who had been faithful to you and forgiving of you. He said in verses 7 through 10, he said, God delivered them from other nations who oppressed them through the judges, the four judges that had come before Gideon. He said, God was the one who chose you to be his people. God was the one who gave you the promised land. He said, God was the one who told you, I am your God, which meant you have nothing to fear. That's a lot. This prophet is downloading a lot to Israel. And in light of all that God done, had done for Israel in the past, and in light of the fact that God was with them in the present, Israel still made the decision to disobey God. They turned from God in disobedience to God. Now, it's interesting to note here in this passage, and we won't stay on this long, but this was not a cry of repentance and forgiveness. The Israelites at this stage of the game, they were not crying out in repentance and seeking forgiveness from God because we know the Baal worship was still going on in Israel at this time. They were still worshiping Baal. Gideon's own dad, Yoash, had an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole beside it. This was a cry for help, not forgiveness. This was a cry for relief, not repentance. And so we see God, through the prophets, reminded them all that he had done, reminded them of who he was, and he reminded them that they had turned away from him and sin and disobedience to him. So let's go into the first discussion time. Leaders, go ahead, get to your table. and uh, We're going to continue. If you weren't able to get through a question, put a mark on it, try to come back to it the next discussion time, and then try to keep making your way through the other questions that will follow uh, as we continue on. So we, we've got the background now. We've got the background, we know the scene, we know what's going on in Israel, we know what's happening, uh, we know that uh, they've turned away from God, we know they've cried out to God, we know God sent them a prophet uh, and uh, rebuked them and basically told them uh, the scoop that uh, they had turned away from God and forgotten about all that God had done for them in their past. Uh, and so we now make our way to uh, verse 11. We read this a little bit ago, it'll make a whole lot more sense now. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak tree that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Yoash, the Aviezer. His son, Gideon, Yoash's son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in the wine vats in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God here identifies for us the fifth judge. He raised up another judge for Israel. We know what's going on with Israel. We know that they've cried out to God, that God sent them a prophet, and now we meet Gideon. And God has raised up another judge for Israel, uh, and his name is Gideon. The angel of the Lord, God sent his angel. The angel of the Lord came to Gideon as Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine vat or a wine press. 
Now, scholars and historians have explained this scene to us, and that simple sentence, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine vat, doesn't go together. That doesn't work. So we know something's up immediately. Because we understand and realize that wine vats, or your translation may say wine presses, were used for the purpose to juice the grapes, to crush and juice the grapes, to get the grape juice from the grapes. The wine vats were generally located at the bottom of hills because it made it easier for those that they would go along and they would pick all the grapes, they would load the grapes into the carts, and then they would wheel the carts down the hill, which would make it easier for them to then dump the grapes into the wine press, into the wine vat. And then they would go about the juicing of the grapes uh, for the wine at that point in time. And we know that wheat was threshed completely different. Wheat was generally threshed, or the winnowing or threshing process, generally happened at the top of the hills, on very flat places, threshing floors, as they refer to. They were flat pieces of land up on the tops of hills, very flat, and what would happen was they, these folks would come and they would lay the wheat out along the ground of the threshing floor. They would take oxen or cattle and they would run, walk and drive the cattle, the ox, back and forth over the wheat stalks, sometimes pulling a cart behind them, driving it over back and forth the wheat stalks because in that process, what would happen is that would begin to separate the stalks and the chaff from the wheat grains, from the actual wheat that they were wanting, back and forth. And then what would also happen, the reason they were up generally on a high point, is because then the wind would come in and play a big part. The wind would take effect, and the wind would begin to work, and it would begin to blow away the chaff, blow away the stalks, making it very easy for the Israelites to gather up the wheat. At times, sometimes they would even pick up the stalks and toss it in the air and everything else would blow away and the wheat would fall here. So it was a fairly large place, generally up on the top of the hill. So we find now, here as we get to verse 11 and 12, that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine vat. That tells us some things. That tells us some things that we can easily figure out. Number one, we know that he's threshing wheat in a wine vat because he's afraid and he's hiding from the Midianites. He's hiding. And he's doing his best to get some wheat so that the Midianites, the Malachites, nobody sees and comes and takes it because that's what they do. We know that the chances are great that Gideon could possibly be, and we're going to see a little bit of this, could possibly be frustrated. Why? Because he's having to thresh wheat in a wine vat. And it's a small wine vat. It's, those weren't big, large, huge wine vats. I mean, it's a small area. He's down in there. He's hiding. and He's having to thresh wheat. He's probably, good chance that he was exhausted because he didn't have the help of the oxen, the cattle, the carts, the wind. So he's doing this stuff by hand. He's in a confined spot, so he can't do a whole lot. He can't do a whole lot because he's by himself in the first place. And so we see this is the process. And so he's there, he's hiding. He's, you know, we can imagine kind of looking to make sure that nobody's coming. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel of the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What a greeting. 
What an introduction. If I'm getting, I'm probably thinking, who? He's hiding in a wine vat trying to thresh a little wheat so he can have some food. He's in a difficult, difficult, desperate situation. We're talking seven years. We're talking poverty. He's in this situation. And next thing he knows, the angel Lord comes and we see the chicken is called a conqueror. We see the wimps called a warrior. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's what the angel of the Lord was telling Gideon. He said, hey, Gideon, it doesn't matter who comes your way, God is with you. It doesn't matter what comes your way, God is with you. Gideon, it doesn't matter what things look like right now, God is with you. It doesn't matter what others may say, God is with you. It doesn't matter what others may do, Gideon, God is with you. You see, Gideon needed to know that God was with him. God sent his angel to make sure that Gideon understood that the Lord was with him. Why? Because God had some things that he wanted to do in and through Gideon, and he knew if that was going to happen, then Gideon had to understand, he had to believe that the Lord was with him. God, our extraordinary God, had some extraordinary things he wanted to do through a very ordinary Gideon. And what Gideon needed to understand, very first thing, very from the very beginning, is the Lord God Almighty is with you, Gideon. And what a point in time to share that with him as he's hiding in a wine vat, trying to thresh some wheat, scared to death, the Midianites and the Malachites and the Eastern peoples. The first quality of a mighty warrior, here we see, the first quality of a mighty warrior is a mighty warrior believes God is with him. A mighty warrior believes God is with him. This is such an important lesson for us tonight. It's so important that we believe this. It's so important that you believe this. It's so important that I believe this. It's so important that Gideon believed this. We see this all throughout the word of God. You remember the Lord told jo Joseph, I am with you when he was in prison for no reason because he turned and ran uh, from Miss Potiphar and yet she lied and he got thrown in the slammer and the Lord told Joseph, I am with you in prison. The Lord told Moses, I will be with you when you go with Aaron to talk to Pharaoh. The Lord told Gideon, I will be with you when you go uh, to deliver Israel from Midian. The Lord told Joshua, I will be with you when you go and lead the Israelites my people out of uh, into the promised land out of the wandering in the wilderness you're going to be the one Gideon to lead my people the Lord is with you and the Lord says to you and me tonight I am with you almighty God has told us in his word I am with you always to the very end of the age he has told us I am with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and I will never forget you the reason why God wants you and I to understand he is with us the reason why we need a, a friend fresh renewal in our understanding of this vitally important point is our almighty, extraordinary, amazing God has some extraordinary, amazing, almighty things he wants to do in and through you. And in order for that to happen, we've got to understand and realize that he's with us. We've got to understand that he is with us. Because you see, when we understand and realize the Lord's with us, everything changes. It doesn't matter if we're hiding. It doesn't matter if we're afraid. It doesn't matter if we're scared. It doesn't matter if we're being, uh, just going through a difficult time. We, he was in a difficult, desperate situation. And you may be here tonight in a very difficult, desperate situation. I have no doubts that many of us 
are in one of these times in our lives this evening. Quite possibly every one of us at some point in place in our lives are in a difficult situation. And what God is saying to us is the same thing he was saying to Gideon. The Lord is with you. God's with you. No matter what things may look like in your life, God is with you. No matter what others may be saying to you, God is with you. No matter what others may be doing to you, God is with you. He wants to do some stuff in us tonight, tomorrow, so that it can then shine through us tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. Now, I want you to look at this response. This response is amazing from Gideon. Verse 13, man, this is getting, this is really, we're getting good. Oh, man, this is so good. We get to go further and further. It just gets better and better. Here it is, Gideon's response. The angel said, Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon said to him, now he's speaking to the angel of the Lord, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. <laughs> now we get a little bit of an insight into Gideon. Gideon was afraid. Gideon was frustrated. Gideon was discouraged. Gideon, part here, we could maybe even say was defeated. And Gideon questioned the angel's message. He questioned the angel's message because he was focused on his circumstances, not God. He was focused on others, not God. He was focused on himself, not God. And he questioned the angel's message. Gideon was full at this point in the story of unbelief. He was full of doubt, and he was also full of bad theology. And we'll see the bad theology as we continue making our way through. We know one thing is for sure, Gideon was far from a mighty warrior, amen? Far from a mighty warrior at this point, yet God still referred to him and called him and addressed him as a mighty warrior. So I want to see two points, two major points from this verse 13 uh, tonight that we'll dialogue and discuss uh, and share. First point is this, I want you to see the why question, the great why question. As you see in verse 13 that we see here, Gideon said, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why? The why question. What is Gideon saying? He's saying, if God is real and with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening? If God is with us, and if this God is real, why is all this bad stuff happening to us? He said there in verse 13, he said, please, sir, the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? He's referring to Midian, he's referring to the seven years, he's referring to the fact that he's hiding in a wine vat, trying to thresh some wheat. And we are like Gideon at times. We're just like Gideon at times. We too will doubt God. We too will question the truth of God that we know from his word in our own lives. And at times, the reason we'll doubt and question God is because of the bad stuff that's happening to us. We'll, much like Gideon, say, why is this bad stuff happening in my life, God? Why is this bad stuff happening in my marriage, God? Why is this bad stuff happening to me and my family, God? Why is this bad stuff happening at work, God? Why aren't you doing something, God? Why aren't you changing something, God? 
why, what's going on, God? If you are with me, why isn't something happening? Why is everything bad? Why does this continue? Why have I been dealing with this for a month? Why have I been dealing with this for a year? Why have I been dealing with this for five years? Why have I been dealing with this for seven years? Why have I been dealing with this for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years? Why is this bad stuff happening? Why? Why are you allowing it happen, God? Why aren't you doing something? Well, the answer to the why question for Gideon was simple. The answer was simple. The reason why the bad stuff was happening, Gideon's referring to, is because of the sin and disobedience of the Israelites. The prophet made that clear, right? I mean, he made that com- completely clear. There's no question why Israel was dealing with what they were dealing with. There's no question why he was hiding in a wine vat trying to thresh some wheat. The reason was the Israelites had turned away from God. They had sinned against God. They had walked in disobedience to God. The prophet made this clear to the Israelites. Now the angel of the Lord is going to make this clear with Gideon. So the question that we ask ourselves then is, why does the bad stuff happen to us? It's a great why question. I know many of you are witnessing to folks, and you'll, talk, you'll try to witness to folks and help them come to, uh, into a relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus. And one of the common objections is folks will say, you know what? I, I can't believe in this God because why is all this bad stuff happening? If this God is really who you say is, why is this stuff going on? I don't understand it. I can't believe in a God like that who will supposedly allow all this stuff to go on and not do anything about it. So it's a great question, the why question. Let me just give you four quick answers to the why question. Number one, uh, why does bad stuff happen to us? Number one, we live in a sinful world. Uh, the scriptures tell us real clearly that for all the sin and fallen short of the glory of God, we have a sin nature that we have inherited from Adam and Eve. We can go all the way back to Adam and give him a high five and say thanks. We have inherited the sin nature. Folks say all the time, why didn't God create a world in which this bad stuff wouldn't happen and, and all this good stuff would happen? And I would say, and you would say the same thing. He did. He did. And we messed it up. You remember, he did in the Garden of Eden. It was good. God declared everything good because he's a good God. We just finished singing. It was great because he's a great God. It was perfect because he's a perfect God. And we messed that up. And so we understand and realize life's not fair. Life's not always going to work out. We teach our children this all the time. Life's not fair. It's not gonna work. Things are not going to work out all the time. We're going to face trials and troubles and tribulations. We're going to face sufferings because we live in a sinful, fallen world. Jesus told us, you will have sufferings in this world, but we can rejoice and say, praise God Almighty, that we are part of God's family by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so we know that even though these times are going to come, we understand and realize that as they come, God is with us. And we always are always able to remind ourselves, this world isn't our home. We're just passing through. He did create a world where there was nothing bad, and we're going to get back to that at some point in time, but we're caught here in the middle, and we're going to make the best of it. And we're going to understand what God is doing in us and the fact that he's with us so that we can help others in that process. A second reason why bad things happen is is sin. We deal with bad stuff in our lives because of sin. That's what was happening with Israel. The reason they were in bondage and being oppressed was their sin and disobedience to God. They made a decision to turn away from God. And we, at times, will do the same thing. Our sin comes with consequences. You guys understand that, right? Our sin comes with consequences. 
And so we understand and realize that, that sin destroys us. It just rips through us. We got the forgiveness of God, praise the Lord, the blood of Jesus Christ, but sin damages us, and it, and it comes with consequences. We know that there are times we deal with bad things, and we go through difficult times because of sin. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes the reason we're dealing with the bad stuff in our lives is because of our sin. We've made a decision to turn away from the Lord, and we're reaping the consequences of that decision. That was what was going on with Israel. The reason they were dealing with the bondage and oppression was because of their sin. We think of another guy, Jonah. I think of Jonah all the time uh, in Old Testament. Our buddy Jonah, man, he was in the belly of a fish. Why? Because of his own sin. He turned from God and ran away from God, and God got a hold of him. But the reason was because of his sin. Sometimes we deal with bad things in our lives because of someone else's sin. Sometimes it may not necessarily be ours, it's someone else's. We think of the judges here. The judges that, that God raised up, they were raised up and they were put in the position of leadership uh, to help lead Israel out. And Israel's sin was their platform that God used to place them in that position to lead them out. We think of the guys in the boat with Jonah, for example. Guys in a boat with Jonah, man, they're just have taking a ride. They're trying to get from point A to point B. And they end up faced with possibly death, and they're freaking out. Do you guys remember the story? They're flipping out, freaking out. They don't know what's going on, man. They're crying out to their, all their gods. I mean, there's some serious pagan worship going on there. They don't know what's going on. They're just crying out to whoever they can think of. And then finally they realize, oh, it's this guy. He's the reason why. And he says, I am, toss me over. Boop. And they were good. Still, it was calm. For the guys in the boat, why? They were dealing with some bad stuff in their lives because of someone else's sin. And so we realize sin is a reason why bad stuff happens to us. Number three, obedience. Obedience is a reason why bad stuff happens to us. Hey, there are times on this earth Right here, right now, we're going to deal with bad things because of our obedience to God. We see this all throughout the Word. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown in a fiery furnace. Why? Because they were obedient to God. Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. Why? Because he was obedient to God. Peter and John and the other disciples, they were beaten. They were arrested. They were threatened. They even lost their lives. Stephen lost his life. He was stoned to death. Why? Because they were obedient to God. The greatest example, Jesus Christ himself. He was crucified on a cross in our place for our sin. Why? Because he was obedient to God, the Father's plan for his life to provide us with redemption, to provide us with salvation that cost him his life. Hey, guys, we know this, and this is becoming more and more evident and more and more clear with every passing day. There's going to be times where we deal with bad stuff. Bad things will happen to us. We'll be caught in some difficult, desperate situations because of obedience. Because we're not going to take the easy way out. We're not going to be silent. So we just finished singing. We're not going to join in with what the world's doing. Instead, we're going to stand firm in what we know God wants us to do. Instead, we're going to be obedient to the Lord. And that's going to result in some bad things coming our way. 
And yet, we obviously understand and know and realize that when those bad things come our way through obedience, it's, it's well worth it. Because, again, God is with us. Fourth reason is because of spiritual growth. Man, we deal with certain things and certain challenging situations because God wants to grow us in our faith in him. God wants us to have a mature and complete faith lacking nothing. God tests us to grow our faith. Satan, in those tests, tempts us to slow our faith. And every test or challenge or difficulty that comes along, God is at at work in those times, and he is drawing us closer to himself so that he can grow us in our faith. At the very moment those things are happening, we also know that the enemy is tempting us to turn away from God so that we'll miss the mark in that time, so that we'll miss the spiritual growth, and so that we'll turn away from God. And so we understand and realize that there are times where we're dealing with challenging things, and what God wants is in the midst of those challenging things, he wants spiritual growth in us, he wants us to continue our development of spiritual maturity, and he needs us to understand that he is with us in that time. And so How do we respond to the why question? Real quick, this is real quick, and then we'll get into some some discussion. How do we respond to the why question? When we have the why question, when we, as Gideon says, why is all this stuff happening? When we have those times, we say, God, why is all this stuff happening? What is the reason? And we find out whatever answer the case may be. Or when others come to us and they say, why is all this stuff Help me to understand how I can handle this. I get and understand that the reason why this is happening is because of my obedience to the Lord. I get and understand why this is happening because someone that I know, someone's very close to me, has turned away from God and walking in disobedience to God. And it's impacting and causing all kinds of stress and struggles in my own own life. But I get all that. What can I do? How do I respond? It's real simple. Number one, we turn to God. We've got to turn to God. In these times, we turn to God when we're dealing with the why question. Number two, we talk with God. In those times, we turn to God and we talk with God. Gideon turned to the angel. He was talking with the angel of the Lord. He was dialoguing. We talk with God. We turn to God, talk with God, and then we trust in God. Third step was we trust in God. And we understand that he's at work, and we understand that he is with us. This is what James told us. James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, or all joy whenever you face trials of any kind, because, you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, and he cannot expect to receive anything from the Lord because he is double-minded. He is going to God, hearing what God says, and then he's going about his own way. He's torn in two. And so we understand when these times happen to us, and we're dealing with the whys of life, why is this happening? And we're in those difficult, desperate situations where we want to throw in the towel, when we want to give up. We just can't take it anymore. And when we've stopped serving others, and when we've stopped loving others, and when we've stopped giving to others because we're so frustrated with others, when we've just taken ourselves out of the situation, we're saying, man, if it's going to be this way, then I'm out. I'm just going to chill. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything until they start doing some things. And I'll obey the Lord when they start to obey the Lord. We must remember, man, when we're struggling those difficult desperate points. We got to turn to God. We got to talk with God. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for help. He'll give it to us. He promises us. And then we got to trust him. When we ask and he shares, then we believe. We trust him and we don't doubt. Because if we choose to doubt what he says, if we choose to doubt Almighty God, then we're about as good as a wave. It's blown and tossed by the wind. 
is here, there, and everywhere. It just gets beat over and over again. Crash, pull back out, crash, pull back out, crash, pull back out. So we've got to understand how important it is to respond to the why question properly. All right, time for your discussion groups. You guys get together and go. All right, so let's pick back up. Uh, we're going to pick up here, and then we got one other. Uh, we got a response time coming, and then an inv- another discussion time. But we've seen the why question. Uh, Gideon hears the angel of the Lord. He hears the angel of the Lord's message to him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We hear and see raw Gideon. We see Gideon, uh, I mean, straight through to the inside, what Gideon's thinking, what, who Gideon is at that moment in time, because Gideon immediately says, why? And we see in verse 13, Gideon said to him, please, sir, uh, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Now, here's the second point. Here's the second question. The second question is the where question. The where question. If God is with us, then where is he? Where is all this power that we've heard about? He asked the why, now he's asking the where. He said, and where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Gideon said, basically he was saying this, he's saying, where's all God's wonders? Where is all God's power? If this God is with me, if he is with us, you're telling me the Lord is with me and I'm a mighty warrior. Well, I need to know why this stuff is happening. And then I want to know, hey, where is he? Because as it looks to me, he's abandoned us. I want to know where is the power? Where is the wonders? Where is this God that we've heard about in the past? Where is he? Because right now, as I see it, the Lord's not with us. He's abandoned us. Now, we know and understand that this is part of his bad theology, very bad theology. He was full of unbelief. He was full of doubts because he was struggling in this difficult, desperate position. He's just being real. And yet we see in his responses some cracks in his theology. God had not abandoned him or the Israelites. The Israelites had abandoned God. God had not turned his back on the Israelites. The Israelites had turned their back on God. And we see here all kinds of evidence. God sustained Israel and Gideon for the seven years of the oppression from Midian and the Amalekites and the other eastern peoples. God sent his prophet to speak to Israel after they cried out to him of, after seven years of oppression. God sent his angel to Gideon who was hiding in a wine vat. God called Gideon to go and to deliver Israel from the power of Midian. God empowered Gideon to go and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. God's discipline of Israel was evidence and proof that he was with them. God's discipline of Israel was evidence and proof that God loved them. God's discipline of Israel was evidence and proof that God had a plan for them. God's discipline of Israel was 
was evidence and proof that God was not through with them yet. And we see and understand and realize the question is, where is he? And the answer is, the Lord God Almighty is with you, Gideon, and he's with the Israelites. He's with you. That's where he is. He's right there with you. And the answer for us this evening, as we deal with what God is doing in our lives, and as we deal with the stresses and struggles in our lives, and as we deal with the weight that we may be carrying around, and we may be in that difficult spot, that desperate spot, whatever the case may be, we may be asking, the why, why, why God, why? And we have some ideas biblically as to the whys. We ask then the where, and what we need to understand is the Lord is with us, and he's with us right now now. God is with each one of us right now. God is with us as followers of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit in us. And we know, and I know, and you know, hopefully you know by now that God is the one who led you to this conference. God is the one who led you here. Now you may have come because you got bombarded by email blasts. You may have come because a brother tied you up and said, you're coming. You may, come, you may have gotten here tonight because someone just would not leave you alone on your emails or your texts. You may have come here for many different reasons, but I want you to understand and realize the reason you're here is because God Almighty got you here. He got you here. He is with us, and he knows what's going on with you. I want you to understand and realize God knows what's going on with you. He knows that difficult spot. He knows that difficult point. He knows that struggle point. He knows how long you've been carrying it. He knows how difficult it's been. He knows how close you are to throwing in the towel. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's going on. And the reason he knows is because he is with you and he loves you. And he wants you to respond in the proper way to what's going on in your life right now. He wants you, he's got you here tonight because he wants you to respond in the right way. And how do we respond to the where question? This is going to be real simple for us. It's going to be real easy because it's late. It's the same way we respond to the why question. We turn to God and we talk with God and we trust in God. That's, why, that's the way in which we respond to the Lord. And what God wants tonight for us in these moments is for us to respond to him in obedience to him. He wants us to respond to him. What does that mean? Well, that means for some of us that we need to receive God's gift of salvation by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hey, I got good news for you. You're here this evening and you're still on your journey to Jesus and you've not yet surrendered your life to God by placing your faith in his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Then the reason, the main reason why God has you here tonight, the reason he's got you here at this conference is because he wants you once and for all to receive the gift of salvation that he has given to you in the person and the blood and the sacrifice of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. He wants you to place your faith and trust in Jesus, and he wants you to do it tonight, right here, right now. As you turn to God, as you begin talking with God, the Holy Spirit of God begins to work on you, and what he's wanting you is to trust him, and that trust in him means to place your life in his hands, to surrender your life to him, and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For others tonight, the response 
response that God wants us to share to him, the response of turning and talking and trusting, is God wants you to renew. Renew your commitment to him. Renew your faith in him by confessing your sins to him and by renewing your commitment to trust in him. Renewing your commitment to not give up. Renewing your commitment to be in that godly man. Renewing your commitment to be in that godly husband. Renewing your commitment to be in that godly father. Renewing your commitment to be in that godly employer. Renewing your commitment to be in that godly employee. Renewing your commitment to be that godly student. Renewing your commitment to be that godly neighbor. Renewing your commitment to be that godly man. He wants you tonight to respond and to renew your commitment to him. What that means is that's going to mean some, some time with the Lord and confessing our sins to him, and getting right with him, so that we can be filled with not just his presence, but his power at work in our lives. He's with us as followers of Jesus Christ. He's with us. He doesn't leave us when we turn away from him. He doesn't abandon us when we abandon him. Praise God, he's with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, and he is calling and desiring us to return to him. For some, what that means tonight is responding and renewing. Man, what you need most is to turn to a brother in Christ. What you need most is to turn to a fellow warrior. And you need to humble yourself. And you need to say, Almighty God, speaking, I need help. I can't do this. I know what I need to do. I know I need to trust him. I know I need to turn to. I can't do it. I need help. I need help. That takes humility. That takes transparency. More than that, that takes courage and strength. Just that I, I need some help. Maybe it's just simply... I need prayer. I need prayer. I need somebody to pray for me. I just want somebody to pray. So I'm struggling. Man, I don't think I can make it. Unless somebody, somebody prays, prays over me. Somebody encourages me. And I haven't, maybe you're thinking, just haven't heard an encouraging word since I can remember. And I'm good at playing the game, and I'm good at faking it, and I'm good at acting like everything's okay. I've done it the whole night tonight. Put my mask on that I'm good. Truth. Truth is I'm not. See, the beauty of this story, it sparkles in so many different ways, is Gideon didn't have time to put his mask on. He didn't have time. He was hiding, and the next thing he knows, he's staring at an angel. The angel of the Lord looks right through. He doesn't have time. And so he just pours himself out. And we're going to see as we make our way through. Man, Gideon, 
He changes. He changes. May not, may not look pretty right now. But I'm telling you, you just wait. You just wait. You wait and see the change. And the reason is because he responds. He responds to the Lord. So I want to encourage you. I want to ask you to just bow in prayer right now.